Alright, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, glad to be here. I've got my sons here with me. Um, so my talk tonight will be very plain um, because I want them to be able to understand it and I want you to be able to understand it. I'm going to talk like I talk with them in the car and if I make any messes, Brian can clean it up later. Um, two years ago, well, I guess three, I'm losing track of time. In 2020 when COVID hit, it sent the world into a frenzy. And what I noticed was a lot of men who were you know, behind a pulpit seemed to be very bold, all of a sudden cowered very quickly when it came to shutting down their churches, complying with government laws, and edicts issued from on high to tell the church of God how to behave. Now, I didn't know what to do with all that, because up until that time, here's some of my story. Uh, my first name is Joshua. My, my dad named me that uh, because of the character in the Bible, Joshua, who actually uh, Jesus' name is derived from, uh, Yeshua. And Joshua 1, one of the biggest things that's commanded of Joshua and is encouraged of Joshua is to be strong and courageous. Strong and courageous. And so I always had this unction about me that that was supposed to be something I should live into and become a man that's strong and courageous. But it wasn't until 2020 that I felt that holy unction really come over me in a profound way. I started asking questions, pushing back and resisting. And I took to, uh, to do public statements on that matter, uh, mainly via Twitter. Um, and, and I thought myself being courageous in that manner. I mean, to me, it just seemed plain and clear. So I don't know why that takes courage just to say what is true. Uh, that, that's baffling to me. But for many pastors today, for many evangelical leaders, they seem to, to have a lack of courage. You could call it cowardice. We're going to talk about that. Uh, but they just didn't seem to be able to say what was necessary. Fast forward to Thanksgiving of last year, um, I somehow got wrapped up into some cancellation stuff on Twitter, and some Denver troll decided to uh, go after me, my wife, my co-pastor Matt, uh, dox all of us on Twitter, and, uh, and at that time, what was funny, what was revealed about me, what does it mean to dox? So dox means they put, uh, they put like business bylaws online for everyone to see, including addresses. They put my wife's business on there. Uh, they put, like, we rent a space at the Rayback, and they put the Rayback bylaws on there and try to call for the Rayback to cancel our lease with them because they're a secular institution and they wouldn't want the bad business that comes with us renting the facility on, on Sundays. Well, when this troll decided to come after me, all of a sudden I felt afraid. I felt, I mean, some of it was rightful. Uh, I felt concerned for my wife, for our church, for me, what would happen. Um, I started looking up this individual, trying to see how I could either retaliate in my flesh. Uh, that would not have been prudent, but I decided to go on lockdown. But it led me to really reevaluate my own courage. Where is my courage? Is it just being a loud, clanging gong in the public square? Is it just saying things that are true because it's fun? And it's fun to kind of piss off the right people? Or is my courage rooted in something deeper? And so that's, that's kind of where a lot of uh, things have been real for me lately in my life. Um, Joshua 1 is a powerful passage. In fact, uh, just this past two years at my kids' schools, it was a really providential moment in God's sovereignty. Uh, we're buying a church building in Boulder, which is a big feat. Uh, we need all the help we can get. So if any of you feel so inclined to support a missionary endeavor without hurting Trinity Church uh, with your finances, please help us. Uh, it's expensive there. We have to renovate the building and we have to go to the city and submit the permits and all that kind of thing. Um, and I was feeling really down uh, in the last year. It was really, it's really hard. Uh, it's scary. It's scary to do that, especially as a pastor, because uh, you're trying to cast a vision, put yourself out there. We feel like this is where God has led us to go, but at the same time, internally, you're going like, gosh, I'm, I have doubts, you know, I have fears, I have reservations. And so I go to my kid's school and I'm feeling down. We got some news about the building that's just like, gosh, another thing is happening at the building. And in one of my son's classes, I think it was Owen's class, they read Joshua 1. I did not know this was happening. This was not planned. They read Joshua 1 to me. And I, I was just crying in the back of the room, you know, like a baby, because I felt so strengthened in that moment. But Joshua 1 is a really strong passage. Matthew 28, if we go to the Great Commission, what do we see? We see Jesus saying that how much authority has been given to him? Anyone? All of it. He has all the authority. He's, he is in command. He is seated on his throne. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. It's been given to him. Um, furthermore, Paul instructs the church in 2 Timothy. 
He says, God gave us a spirit of not fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. We are called to be courageous. We are called to be courageous. If you are a Christian, courage is not an option for you. It is something you are to live into and grow into. How that plays out, we're going to talk about, because Brian wants me to talk about that. I just want to talk about the theory, but Brian wants me to provide you with some actual stuff. And so we'll talk about that, but, uh, but it will play out differently for all of us. I think in order to understand courage, the virtue of courage best, we have to explore its vice, and the vice is cowardice. Cowardice. Cowardice is a scourge. It's from the pipel. It's a sin. Cowardice is a sin that lurks in each of us, each man. It's a temptation to passivity. It's the, pass- it's the temptation to capitulation when you know what's right, especially when it's revealed in God's word. It's the temptation to kneel to forces beyond your control, uh, to whom you should not kneel. That is cowardice. Cowardice must be killed. It must be killed daily. It must be killed over a lifetime. And you will always be tempted by cowardice. You know what's funny about when we pray to God and we ask him to grow us. God, give me opportunities to be a more patient man, a strong man, a courageous man. You know what he's going to give you? Opportunities for flesh to be revealed. Opportunities for you to be a coward. And so that is what you have to look forward to as a Christian, is putting that sin to death. So how do we put to death cowardice? What we do is we take our cowardice to the ultimate place of courage. We take our cowardice, we look at our cowardice, and we say, come here, cowardice. We take it to the foot of the cross, we point to the cross, and we say, look at the courage. That's courage. We take the cowardice to the empty tomb. And we look at the empty tomb, and we point to the empty tomb, and we we say, cowardice, that's courage. We take the cowardice to the hill on which Christ ascended into heaven. And we take cowardice and say, look, Christ is seated right now at the right hand of the Father. That's courage. You have no place here. Cowardice does not belong in your life. It needs to be killed. It needs to be killed daily. It needs to be killed over a lifetime. We take cowardice. We take it to church history. We look at the martyrs like we just sang about. We look at the martyrs that came before us. And we look at them and how they were fed the lions and crucified. And we say, that's courage. You coward, you sin, you get out of my life. That is how we talk to ourselves as men. That's how we preach the gospel to ourselves in order to kill cowardice in our lives. We must be courageous men. Now, in any given culture, there's examples of courage. Uh, courage is not, is not a unique phenomenon to merely Christians. You can find courage in men in battle as far back as, uh, you know, if you watch the movie or read the book, The Iliad. Uh, you can find courage there on the battlefield, especially on the battlefield. We typically associate the battlefield with courage, and, and I get moved by that. You know, one Fourth of July, a couple of years ago, I was watching uh, The Patriot and just watching Mel Gibson reenact, you know, his battle there and standing up. That's courage. We can all identify courage, but there's something different about Christian courage. Christian courage is uniquely different. In fact. I would even hesitate to say, call it Christian courage, because Christian courage is the true version of courage, and all other versions of courage are merely shadows of the true version. So there's worldly courage, and then there's true courage, the Christian courage, the true virtue that we should aspire to. Christian courage is unique. It aspires to Christ's likeness. It embodies what real courage is like. Courage meets fear and threats with the necessary and appropriate strength not to merely acquiesce, but to win. We want to win. And if we're going to be good, courageous Christian men, that should be our aspiration, is to win. In all domains of life, win. We want to win for Christ. The great American philosopher John Wayne put courage this way. Courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyways. Courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyways. It's knowing that there's scary things coming, but going forward anyways. And that's what all of us in our bones want to be like. We want to be that way. But if we're honest with ourselves, too often when we're scared, we don't saddle up. We're not ready to go. We're not ready to go. And that's why we must go to Christ daily and put cowardice to death. We have to admit we're scared. We have to admit that sometimes we're scared of our wives. We have to admit that sometimes we're scared of our bosses. We have to admit that sometimes we're scared of the politicians that rule over us. We have to admit that. We have to confess that to the Lord and seek to put it to death. Because if you live afraid of upsetting other men, friend, that's no way to live. That's slavery. That is absolute slavery if you live afraid of other men. You must be courageous. God did not design you to live in fear of everyone around you. He didn't design you that way. The psychologists have a great word for it. It's called codependency. 
It's where you just want to make other people happy. And in and, and doing so, you try to make yourself happy. That's never going to work. It's just a bad play to run. And in Christianity, we call that idolatry. We have to admit we're scared, and we have to go to the cross and put our cowardice to death. Now, here's what courage is not. Because you may hear all this and go, that's neat. Uh, therefore, we should just like speak our mind as loud as we can all the time. Courage is not boisterous. Courage is not recklessness. Courage is not being foolhardy. Courage is not being stupid. Okay? That's not what courage is. Like, like uh, Brian said, courage is really a summation in a, a tension point in a frontline battle of all the other virtues and how they're going to live out. And so we have to walk in wisdom. And uh, courage, true courage, Christian courage, is done in that way. I want to paint an extreme view of the world. It's not one that I necessarily agree with, but I agree with a lot of it. Okay? We live in a world where the forces of darkness are arrayed against us. Now, that's true for every Christian. But specifically in our context, we live in a world where people want to change our children's gender. We live in a world where, peop- where, the, where the, the forces of the world want you to be a lazy sloth by eating fattening foods. We live in a world who, during a health crisis, where it was clear and evident to everyone that if people just worked out and took care of themselves, they would be better. They lied to us. And they wouldn't in- encourage us to get outside and be healthy. They want us to be fat. They want us to be lazy. They want us to get phones that give us a dopamine rush. They want us to look at pornography. They want us to do all sorts of things because they want men subdued. They want men subdued. And Christian men should not be subdued men. Christian men must be courageous men. The forces of darkness are aligned against us in a variety of capacities. Whether you you make it specific to your life or broaden it out to the Capitol building right over there. Where the forces of darkness sit there daily and are working against our way of life. That's an extreme version, I believe, some of it. But I'm trying to paint a picture of why you need courage today. And you know it because you go to work and you go to coffee shops where they hang trans flags and you buy that product and you feel bad about it. Because you know when you go in there, you're giving money to organizations that want nothing but bad for you and bad for your children. They would rather your children not know prosperity, health, and God. They want to crush you. You must take this battle seriously. And the call of the hour is not to numb yourself, to escape into fantasy worlds. As much as it's fun, personally, to play some video games every once in a while, the call is not to escape into fantasy worlds like video games and pornography. That's not the call. The courageous thing to do is stand for Christ and stand on the Word of God. I mean, this, like, I grew up in the church, and so there's that old uh, song, the B-I-B-L-E, that's, that's the Bible, and that's what we stand upon, right? And I was taught that from a young age. And uh, my, my father's father and all his brothers were assemblies of God preachers. Uh, and, and that was the message that was just all in our house and all in our church, that we stand upon the Word of God. And that is where we want to, to root ourselves, to steep ourselves, to be formed, to be shaped. We want, when we see the world, to see the world through the Bible. We want to see the world as God sees the world, because God's in charge. And we'll come back to that in a little bit. And so what I want to do is I want to play out how courage needs to play out in your life. And the first place is in your relationships. Uh, and I want to get more granular for those of us who are married. If you're not married yet, the, the, it can play out in dating as well. But I want to spe- specifically talk to married men. Courage plays out in your marriage by not being afraid of your wife. It's simple as that. I encounter a lot of men who are afraid of their wife for a variety of reasons. Maybe their wife truly is someone that's scary. Uh, maybe they have a right to be afraid. But maybe they're, they're looking to their wife to meet their needs, and they know if they say the wrong thing, then their wife won't meet their needs anymore. Maybe they've idolized their wife. They set up their wife on a pedestal. They bought the Disney lie, and they, they live a feminized marriage where they're not taking ownership and responsibility over their home. And one way this plays out is, are you able to say no to your wife? Are you able to say no to your wife? Can you just say no? Well, I don't want to do that. We won't go there. We're not going to support that organization. We're not going to believe that. No, I don't think having my kids having a cell phone is a good idea. No, we're not. that's just not how we're going to spend our money. I am not encouraging to be a tyrant. I am not encouraging any kind of brutality. I am not encouraging any kind of stuff. I'm simply saying, do you ever say no to your wife? I bet she says no to you. I bet she says no to you. 
Where is your courage, man? Where is your courage? You must find this, the testicular fortitude, the balls, to stand up to your wife. And not in a mean way, in a Christ-like way. You have to. You have to learn it. This is something God had to teach me over a lifetime. We've been married, I can't even remember now, 15 years? And that plays itself out of reluctant. You may be young in marriage and you're feeling this. You're like, I'm in it. Like, I, I feel that way. I'm scared. Like, I don't want to say the truth. I don't want to leave because I'm scared. God will work in you. Trust him. Step forward in courage. Make small steps towards being a courageous husband. Uh, I skipped the first one that you must say no to in your marriage. You must say no to sin. You must say no to sin. You must say no to sin in your life. You have to put sin to death daily or it will be killing you, as John Owen said. You must put sin to death. You must take your cowardice to the cross and kill it daily. Every day, you're going to be tempted to compromise on Christian principles. You're going to be tempted to compromise on the commandments and the laws that God has laid out in His Word. You must not compromise. You must go to the cross. You must go to the empty tomb. You must go to the hill. You must look to Christ who is seated in heaven. And you must take courage in Christ, asking the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you in how to be a courageous man today. So you must say no to sin. You must be able, be able and willing to say no to your wife. You also must be able to say no to taking on more than you should. You must be able to say no to taking on more than you should. Uh, a good man is going to have more opportunities afforded to him over a lifetime. That's just, the, the, it's funny how even sociologists know this, that the more kids a family has, the more, in, the more the man's income goes up. Why? Because the man knows he's got to provide more and he works harder. He knows it in his bones. Men know that, that as he has more responsibility, he's going to progress and he's going to seek more opportunities. And those opportunities will come your way. But you have to be able to say no to those opportunities if they're going to diminish your ability to disciple your own children and, and uh, wash your wife in God's word. If those, if those opportunities are going to take you away from that, that's probably a bad opportunity in general. It's a principle. You've got to stay focused, and you've got to be able to say no to opportunity. Men are motivated by taking dominion of the world, by, by career opportunities, by new initiatives, by all sorts of things. That's good. That's in you. You, sh- you should have that drive to want to make things. Even Owen, what I love about Owen is he, he brings home all of his crafts that he's made at school. And he makes things at home. And he's always so proud of them because they're great crafts, right? And, and I love that because he wants to cultivate and create. He wants to take dominion over the world. Uh, we're always talking about how we can teach the dog how to do new things. And we're playing with the dog because the kids want to take dominion over the animals. Because that's in our blood. It's in our DNA. It's how God made us to be as men. But we also have to be able to trust God enough to know when we say no to an opportunity that would diminish our ability to be faithful where we are. What about courage in your neighborhood? Courage in your neighborhood. I live in Erie, which is just outside of Boulder. Courage in, in your neighborhood, uh, it, it takes a different tact uh, because you're interacting with a lot of people. I don't know about you, but you're interacting with a lot of people uh, who either think they're Christians or they're just blatantly not. And they're, in fact, opposed to Christianity. Courage in your neighborhood looks like showing up and being a loving, Christ-like presence in their life and not backing down when they try to get you to buy the secular lies. It looks like standing up for the truth to your neighbors. What are the consequences if you do that? You may not get invited to the block party anymore. You just may not. You may not get be invited over to dinner or anything like that. I, like, oh, okay, that's, that's not being fed to lions. So it's important that you and your neighborhood, when you think of your neighbors, and each one of you has a neighbor in mind, whether it's somebody who lives in an apartment next door, uh, right down the block, whatever it may be, it takes courage to go up to that neighbor and be like, hey, how can I pray for you? And just, like, by saying that, you're admitting, I'm a Christian. <laughs> it, you don't have to be... Uh, reckless, you don't have to be rude. Love is not rude. Christ's love is not rude. But you need to be firm in your own convictions and know what the Bible teaches. That's why it's so important you're involved in a good church where you hear regular preaching from God's Word, where you're equipped on God's Word to know what God's Word says about all the, the, the wickedness that's being promoted in our society, that's being funneled into our phones and our, our televisions and books and schools and workplaces. You have to know what God's word says. Otherwise, you're not going to know when to be courageous and when not. 
because your friends are all of a sudden going to like capitulate on all sorts of things. You know, it's, it was funny. Um, I have a friend who's a Navy SEAL, you know, former Navy SEAL in Desert Storm, and I, I love him. He's great, uh, and he's my neighbor. And when COVID hit, I watched them do everything. They were masking. They were taking Clorox to all their food before it came in the house, you know, spraying it, which I don't understand how that could be sanitary at all. Uh, but then they were leaving it out overnight to try to keep it safe. And I was just like, I don't want to live. I'm not living that way. That's just not how we want to live. But whenever it came to like the shot or anything like that, like I was, they were all like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's just move on. And I was like, yeah, we're not going to do that. And everyone just kind of took one step back. You know? <laughs> And uh, in that moment, it would have been easy for me to kind of skirt it and just kind of, and maybe that, that's a fine tactic for some people. I'm not saying that you have to do what I did, but I'm saying in that moment, I felt like the courageous thing to do would be like, no, they need to hear an alternative perspective, and it happens to be one I believe, and I'm going to be that person. If that means that they don't want to be around me for the next two years, I mean, okay, like, I'm going to love them, and I'm going to serve them, I'm going to say hi to them. I'm going to bless them, uh, and, and I'm going to live like Jesus towards them. But I'm not going to back down from God's truth, especially from my convictions when I interact with my neighbors, simply because it's easier. I'm not going to compromise on that. Maybe that's just the man I, I am and the way the personality God has given me and the calling he's put on my life. Um, but I, I think that takes courage to do that. Here's one thing uh, that I think is really helpful in a neighborhood to take courage in the public story of your neighbors. Assume Christianity is the norm, because it is. Christianity is the way God designed the world's work. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. He rules right now. So that means if you're not a Christian, you're out of line. You're out of line and you're heading to a bad place, hell. And so if that's the norm, then the, uh, the posture, and this is what's so jacked up, by most of our evangelical leaders, the posture they take in the public square is kind of this safeguarding, salesman-like marketing tactic that's all focused on like, gosh, we've got to just make it look appealing. We've got to make it look relevant. We've got to make it look easy. The difference of, of posture I'm talking about is instead saying, Christianity is an norm. So you go up to someone in your neighborhood, where are you guys going to church this Sunday? Oh, we don't go to church. Well, that's weird. <laughs> church is normal. Worshiping God is good and normal. It's, it's the right thing to do. I mean, think about this. Think about it this way. That's what they do to you all the time. Right? They assume their way of viewing the world is completely normal. That you're the weirdo for not wanting your kid to be trans. And yet, as Christians, we know the truth of God. And he reigns right now. And so we should adopt the posture of confidence, not being proud, not being boisterous. Confidence saying... Yeah, we pray. We read the Bible. It's a good thing to do that. Do you have the Bible? Can I buy one for you? You, you need the Bible in your life. That's a good thing to do. And we've been so uh, submersed in a Christianity that has no interest in that kind of posture. That, that's, ooh, that's, that feels weird. That's going to make my neighbors kind of think I'm an odd duck. Maybe they'll think I'm like a fundamentalist. Nobody wants to be like that. But we have to adopt a posture where we know in our bones that Jesus reigns today. Jesus reigns today. And if Jesus reigns today, then his way of doing things is the normal way of doing things. The way he designed the world to work in Genesis 1 is the way the world should work. And so we have to adopt that posture in our neighborhood. One of the things that's really interesting, um, does anyone listen to Jordan Peterson? Some of us, most of us. Um, fun guy to listen to. Uh, seems close to the kingdom. Um, but he has he, his kind of thing is like the big five personality test. Has anyone heard of this? He's talked about this on his podcast. So the big five personality test has like five personality traits, just kind of, and it helps you just kind of figure out like how you're wired. Because each person is unique. You're not supposed to be like me, and I'm not supposed to be like you. Each person God uniquely wires with a family system, with the way you're raised, with a temperament. Uh, some of us are more hot-headed, whatever it may be. Well, I took that personality test, and I think my, there's, a, there's a spectrum on there with agreeableness and disagreeableness. Agreeableness means, yeah, you just want to get along with other people. You know, you're happy to go along, no big deal, no problem, like, I'm happy to agree. Disagreeableness is, you're going to be a contrarian, you're not going to get along with other people, you're just going to speak your mind. I think I typed that as a zero on the spectrum, which means I'm very, I'm like disagree, disagreeable to a T. There's no agreeableness in me. 
Now, if you, if you know me, or you're my friend, or close to me, you know that's not like everything I am, okay? And so I know that some of what I'm suggesting comes from a place where my personality is naturally wide to be a disagreeable person. So this may be really hard for you if you're more inclined to just be agreeable, to go with the flow, no big deal, don't cause any waves. And God bless you as you lead encourage in that way, because you're a blessing to me. <laughs> you're really fun to be around, easy to be around. I'm harder to be around and get a little bit. So there's a place for courage to play out in that way, but I don't want to do a straitjacket and be like, everyone has to be like me. But I do think in this posture with your neighbors, I think it's a really easy way for you to grow in courage. I think it's a really easy way to assume Christianity is the norm because it is. God's ways are normal. God's ways are the best ways. And we have to own it. We have to own it. Now, Romans 12 and other places, 1 Thessalonians, talks about Paul instructs the church to, as much as it's in within, within your power, live in peace with all men. And he also says in 1 Thessalonians that we should work with our hands, live a quiet life, all that kind of stuff. There's absolutely, that, that comports, that, that is compatible with the vision I'm trying to give you of your life as a man. I am not saying that you just need to go pick fights, start fights with your neighbors. I'm not saying any of that. But you have to understand the qualifier that Paul puts in front of that as much as it's within you. But at some point, it's, you got to stand. You're going to have to t- take a stand for Christ. And in the world we live in, where, gosh, it feels like we're two degrees away from Christians going to gulags, you know, it, we got to take a stand sooner than some of you may be comfortable taking a stand. we got to start making sacrifices for Christ in real ways. And we have to assume God's ways are normal. What does it look like in the workplace? I get this question all the time as a pastor. What does it look like in the workplace to be a courageous Christian? To just take courage in the workplace? Because some Christians are wired like me, and they're like, yeah, I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to tell that DEI officer that he's full of crap, and this is wicked nonsense with a pit of hell, and that we need to teach the Bible. <laughs> and I'm like, God bless you. <laughs> Have fun. And, and they know the consequence of that. They'll probably get fired. You know, they're, they're probably not going to be well-liked, at least. Others are like, gosh, I don't know if I'm supposed to do that. I mean, I've got a family. Am I called to just, like, stand up in that training, that slideshow on Zoom, and just burn it down? Maybe not. Maybe you're calling. Just take as much money from that leftist organization you can and give it to the church. Like maybe that's the calling God's placed in your life. What do you need to discern between those two options? You need God's wisdom. You need the Holy Spirit. You need a good community of men around you who know you, know your temperament, know how God is calling you to lead and live. If you don't have that, you will capitulate. You will be a coward if you do not have a church in your life. It is so easy to be a coward in our day and age. It's so easy to hide in your home, hide behind a screen, never take a stand for anything. It's easy, guys. It's easy. In fact, in my flesh, that's like a temptation of mine. Just move to the wilderness and forget all this stuff. Like, forget it. Like, I'm not going to take a stand. I'm not going to stand up to anything. It'd just be easier. Just go, I'm going to do a, the homestead life, right? And, and that's, not, that's not reality, especially if you're a city boy. You're not ready for that. You're not ready to be a homesteader. God has put you where you are for a reason. He's put you in that workplace for a reason. And so, yes, I think in the workplace, standing courageously looks like normalizing Christianity. It looks like trying to make Christianity norm. It doesn't mean you have to be in charge. It doesn't mean you have to, like, run people out of town. It doesn't mean you have to be rude. But it does mean standing against woke ideology. One example, I love this example from a, from a member at our church, uh, and he shared it with me, is uh, they were going around and they were asking, so what do you, what's been uh, a thing, a habit in your life that's been most helpful for you, right? What's, and they went around the table and it got to him and he goes, going to church regularly and praying to God has been the best thing that's helped me in my life. And all of his coworkers were like, what's, what? <laughs> what's wrong with this guy? But that was courageous. That was, that was a simple act of courage. He wasn't trying to make anyone do anything. He was just stating who he, the truth. Like, church is good. God's ways are blessed. And so it can look like that. But you have to stand up to woke ideology in the workplace. You have to stand against it. Because if you're not standing there, I know you're not standing up against the schools. And God help you if you have kids in public schools where they're being indoctrinated with all this nonsense. You know, and some people, that, that's, uh, like, I know it's hard for me as a pastor because I don't like to make a law on this. I know some other pastors are like, you've got to pull them all out now. If you go to our church, part of being a member here, they can't be in public school. I'm not ready to, to go there, although I understand completely that mindset. Like, I understand it completely. But um, even, even with that said, if you're a taxpayer in the state of Colorado, those public schools are receiving your money. You have a right to speak up. You have a right to have a voice there. We saw what happened in Loudoun County, Virginia, where, where uh, 
what's that guy's name? Uh, Michael with the Daily Wire. Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh. He went there and I think he rented an apartment in Loudoun County because they were making it so that only people who lived in Loudoun County could show up at the meeting and have a voice. And he's like, fine. He rented an apartment in Loudoun County so he could have a place. So he went there and gave him, gave him a, a piece of his mind of the truth. And so I think there's a place for that. I think there's a place for that in society. Um, that may not be who you are. You're not Matt Walsh. Like you, you're a normal guy working a job, just trying to make ends meet, provide for your family, go to church. And so I'm not saying everybody's got to do that, but I think we all, we all need to consider if God's calling us to do that. I think for too long, most of us have been uh, really just kind of lulled into a passivity where we're not even considering that as an option of what God may be calling you to do. Because God may be inviting you to do that. God may be inviting you to stand up against public schools and the wickedness they teach. God may be inviting you to stand up in the workplace to the wickedness they're teaching. Um, it looks like... In the workplace, um, you've got to be able to display a proverbial wisdom. This is how Christian courage is unique. It's not unhinged rage. It's not just trying to, uh, to, to make the left mad. It's not any of that. It's having a deep-seated confidence in who you are in Christ and knowing that you're a child of God, a son of God, uh, knowing that he's seated and he has all the authority. It's knowing that. Going to the Word of God. You read Proverbs, and you're going to be well-equipped. Because Proverbs, it's interesting, if you're looking for contradictions, you would think in Proverbs some of the verses contradict. Because sometimes it says speak to a fool, and sometimes it says not to speak to a fool. How do we know the difference of those situations? The Holy Spirit, a church, you have tools in your tool belt right now where you can be equipped to know the difference of when you need to speak up and when you need to remain silent. Because sometimes you do need to shut up. I mean, heck, I've had my elders tell me that. That's totally fine. They have that right in my life. But we have to be studying the scriptures, be saturated in God's word to know the difference. Because, and the reason I say this, is because the temptation for all of us as men is going to be passivity. It's going to be compromise. It's going to be the deal. That is so easy. It's so easy to do. And, and it's not how God designed us to live. It's not how God designed you to be a man and called you to be a man. You have to know and you have to be walking with the spirit to, to know enough to, to discern this is a time I stand. This is the time I fight back. This is the time I speak up because I'm tired of being silent about this. Um, it takes a lot of courage to do that. You can't just be kind of this, uh, I'll use, I'll use uh, the word butthead. You can't just be a butthead and work about this stuff. That's not the goal. That's not uh, a Christian spirit. You want to be like Christ. Christ looked over tables and he called people a brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs, hypocrites to their faces. Right? He wasn't scared of saying words to people that hurt their feelings. Okay, So get it out of your mind that Jesus was some nice guy just looking to get, make everybody get along. He brought the sword, right? and he reigns with the sword right now. And so we have to be willing as Christians to adopt that posture. This is where a lot of the debates on like winsomeness come in. Recently there's been a hot debate about winsomeness. Winsomeness was a word coined in the 80s by, uh, mainly by a Reformed Theological Seminary. They wanted to have a winsome presence. And man, people just ate it up, including myself. People just ate it up. Oh, yeah, winsome, winsome, winsome. We're winsome in the city. We're winsome for the city. All this stuff. And it's like, at, to what point? To what point? And at what point are you sinful in your winsomeness? And you're just a coward. I mean, for God's sakes, like, just speak plainly. Like, Tim Keller is a man I respect and love and I've learned a lot from. Why? Why doesn't he speak on abortion? Why doesn't he speak on trans matters? Why doesn't he speak on any of the wickedness in our society? Why? Because he's trapped in a paradigm of wickedness. He's built a huge church based on that paradigm. And if he speaks his mind on it, he's going to lose half of it. He's going to, this is what happened in Roe v. Wade. When Roe v. Wade got overturned, we called pastors in our town. What are you doing tomorrow? What are you doing this Sunday? How are we going to celebrate what God has done in our country? That we can celebrate God working through the Supreme Court to overturn this wicked law that's murdered tons of people in our country. How are we going to celebrate? Everybody's like, we're not going to touch it. I'm like, why? If I say something from the pulpit, half my church is going to leave. I'm like, forget that, man. I am not living that way. Like, that means I'm going to have a small church in Boulder. Okay, like, don't care. I didn't move to Boulder anyways to have a big church set. I mean, God can do that if he wants. But, like, we knew going into Boulder, like, we're not going to have a mega church. Like, that's just, like, numbers don't lie. Okay? But, like, I'm not going to live the rest of my life beholden some kind of winsome paradigm of ministry where I can't speak God's truth in the pulpit of all places. The pulpit. 
And this is churches all throughout our land. We must be able to know when it's appropriate to be winsome with your neighbor. There's a time to be winsome. There's a time to be persuasive. There's a time for that. There's a time to be, uh, what the, the phrase I heard this week is, forward-facing evangelistic. And what they mean by that is they're putting front and center in the church is the main job of the church is to be evangelistic. There, there is a time for that, okay? That's not all the time. There's a time to pound the pulpit like my grandfather's brothers used to do. There's a time for that. And as Christian men, we must find our courage. We must find our courage. We have to find it in our families. We have to find it in our friends. We have to find it in our churches. We have to take a stand for the truth. And that means you have to know the truth. you got to know the truth yourself. Otherwise, you're going to come across like an idiot. Because <laughs> you don't even know what you believe. Now, here's the catch, though. I think it was an axe. Uh, no, it was, it was in one of the Gospels where, where they're going like, how will we know what to say? How will we know what to say when we get confronted? How will we know what to say when we're brought up on charges? And they're told, don't worry, the Spirit will guide you. Don't worry, the Spirit will guide you. And I didn't believe that in a profound way for a long time, I'll be honest. Not, not that I, I didn't believe it here, but here. Because my whole life was about, well, i got to get more education before I use my voice. In fact, early on at elders meetings at the well, it's really funny, Matt and I, because uh, I would just be silent because I was like 26, and I'm like, what do I know? What do I have to offer? I don't know. You know, I, bear, I, don't, I just started seminary. I don't have any ideas to share. And Matt was like, where are you? Like, why don't you say anything? Why are you just, and it, I thought I was being like humble and like, you know, well, I don't want to presume. And it's like, no, you're just being a coward. Like, you're just not showing up. Show up. Say something. And maybe you're going to say something wrong. Guess what? Good. Now you have something to repent of. You can take to the Lord and find mercy and grace. But say something. Show up as a man. Take courage to use your voice in your home, your workplace, your church. Share what's on your mind. What are you reading? What are you feeling? What are you thinking about? What's going on? And that will give you an opportunity to hear from other people and to be led by the Spirit. You don't have to wait until you have your apologetic method dialed in and you've read all the books on the perfect method of either presuppositionalism or, or evidentialism or whatever other ism is out there to stand for Christ. You don't need that. You got the word of God. You got the spirit. Go. Go. That's what God's word teaches. We can be strong in the Lord, knowing that if we're in him, he's going to guide us. The last, last section I want to talk about is entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship. Uh, mainly I'm talking about, I'm not talking about like the sleazy, like, I'm an entrepreneur. And it just means you don't do anything. I'm talking about like the entrepreneur that's like actually starting, trying to start a business. Sometimes it fails. Sometimes it work. But starting your own institution. Starting your own thing. Entrepreneurship has a unique set of challenges when you're trying to be courageous, especially in this day and age. 20 years ago, it was like not that big of a deal, but in this day and age, it's really hard. Whether it's tech or retail or whatever business and, and you're into, whatever investment you're into, it takes courage and entrepreneurship to take a stand for Christ. You have to be willing to walk away from the table. A good example is we, uh, we invested in a, uh, a food truck park kind of bar concept in Florida right before COVID hit. Great timing on that investment. Not going well. <laughs> but we heard from the manager down there, they were like, well, we hear this drag story thing, this drag brunch is really popular, really brings in the customers. <laughs> and it's like, do you realize that half the investors are Christian men? And most of those are pastors that are, that are just trying to make a bank for their buck by investing in a, a pretty decent concept. And you're going to do drag brunch? They're all gone. Like, they're all gone. That is never happening, or I'm walking. And they're like, oh, wow, I didn't know we were bigots. We're not bigots. Shut up. We're not. You know us. We love people. We love all people. Like, welcome. Come on in. Like, hear the gospel. Drink a beer. Like, have some, mu like, have some music and enjoy your time here. But we are not going to bring that wickedness into our establishment. That took courage. To me, it just is plain because I'm a disagreeable person. To me, it's very easy to do. It's like, why would I do that? It's dumb. But for you, it's going to take courage if you're an entrepreneur. When you go to an investor, they're going to be like, well, if you're going to get an investment from me, you've got to do these kind of things. You've got to buy the DEI narrative. You've got to buy it. Does everyone know what that means, by the way, diversity, equity, inclusion? Because now they have these high councils that can, you know, kind of like train your company and all this stuff. You've got to be able to say, no, we're not going to do that here. We're not going to do that here. We, we're a Christian business. We operate on Christian principles. That's what I love. You know what's funny about, like, Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A, we're both closed on Sunday, is that they uh, – they, they run their Christian company, and really, they're just like, yeah, we're a Christian company. It's just what we are. It's what we do. And they do really well. 
Like they're doing really well for themselves. And I, I just want to encourage you as a fellow business owner, because we own a business in Boulder County too, like it doesn't, you don't have to get out there and signal and virtue signal like the other people do. The reason they're virtue signaling is because they got no virtue to begin with. You know virtue because you're in Christ. He is virtuous. He is everything you as a man want to be. You don't have to virtue signal. You don't have to like, there is a flag. I'm going really off script here. There was a reaction against the trans flag, and it was called Super Straight. Did y'all hear about this at all? Super Straight? It was like this flag people made. It's like, my identity is super straight, right? And, you know, it's funny. It's, it's kitschy, and it kind of pisses off the right people. But uh, as an entrepreneur, like, you don't need to be doing that. That's not what you need to be doing. Live as a Christian. Run your business as a Christian. Lead it with Christian principles. And then when you hire people, it, this is, it's really challenging today to find good help that you can trust that aren't going to come in and be an activist in your business. Because that's what the, the left is doing right now and the, the wickedness that pervades the secular mindset, the nihilistic, atheistic mindset, is they've, the reason they've been so effective is because all people were designed to be educated. All people are disciples. You will be formed by something. Your family, your school, everything. You will be shaped. They have taken over every department of education at every university that's, sec that's public. That they knew they needed that ground because they knew that they were trying to make disciples of their ways. Their atheistic, socialistic, communistic, neo-Marxist ways. So they've taken over at, at the University of Colorado, the Department of Education, saturated with CRT, saturated with it. All they're rising up is what? Teachers. Just nice teachers. What, why would you be bothered by that? Well, they go to the public schools. And what do they raise up? More disciples of wickedness, of anti-God ideas of secularism. They raise them up, and then they graduate, and they come apply for a job at your store, at your place. And then you have to have the discernment to know, is this a person I'm called to evangelize and bring them in? And there's the joke uh, when you're dating, where you're like trying to missionary date, you know, you're, you're a Christian, and this girl's not, and you're like, well, maybe, you know, maybe I feel like bring to church, and you know, maybe she'll become a Christian. That rarely works out. Rarely. Uh, not, a, not a prudent move. I don't think Brian would endorse that if you were meeting with you. Okay? Discipline. <laughs> yeah, church discipline. <laughs> the same thing can happen in the workplace where you see somebody you're like, well, they're nice. They're nice, you know? Maybe it's a gospel opportunity. And then you get on Instagram and they're like, Planned Parenthood, abortion, rah, rah, rah. And you're like, nope, not happening here. I don't want an activist in my company because those people will come in and destroy you because that's what all it does. The way of the world, apart from God, is destruction and disorder. And that's what's being saturated in our world right now, is disorder. Absolute disorder. And they're going to come into your company and ruin it. So you have to have discernment and trust the Spirit to know, hey, is this a person that I can work with? And that means you have to be really upfront. This is a Christian. Well, I'm a Christian. I run it as a Christian. These are my beliefs. You didn't have to do that 20 years ago. You just did. Like, you'd just be like, I pay you. You do your job. Go home. Call it a day. I think some of those people are still out there, but not many. Not many. Everybody's an activist now. And so you've got to be aware as a Christian business owner, as an entrepreneur, that when you are interviewing people, when you're trying to discern who you're going to bring on your team, who you're going to partner with, gosh, gosh, look for Christians. Look for Christians to support. Even in your networking, in the brands you're, you're aligned with, align with non-woke brands. Align with them as entrepreneurs. Start cohorts. Start networks of people who are in your team, who are in... Uh, in your corner, who are ready to stand against the woke mob. All of this, all of this has to be grounded in Christian truth. Um, it has to be grounded in Christian truth. You cannot sell out, and it's going to be really tempting to sell out. People will, if you're a successful entrepreneur, people are going to offer you money. I, I told my dad this when he was, uh, he started a sprinkler company the same year I was born, and uh, so 1986, and he's nearing the age where he's uh, ready to sell it. And so he was talking to some tech people because they wanted to like turn his sprinkler company into an app like uh, True Green or, or Terminex, uh, where it's like you get on your phone if you have a sprinkler problem, boom, somebody's out there. And then they like make it like Uber, where like anybody can be a sprinkler repairman, and so they can come over. It's an interesting idea. My dad was really excited about this because tech and tech is sexy and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, Dad, what happens when you sell the company? You're no longer a stakeholder, and you see your company's lo logo in rainbow flag. He was like, well, I don't want that. And I was like, no, you don't. You don't want your legacy that you started to be ruined by this woke nonsense. 
And so it helped him think more discerningly about, hey, what, are the, what, are the, what am I putting in this document, this agreement, or how am I discerning who I'm going to sell to so that I don't just create another woke company, another tech company that's just going to cave to uh, wickedness. Look, the most courageous act you can make on a daily basis, whether, all this may sound grandiose, and maybe it's not practical. Sorry, I didn't achieve the goal, Brian. But uh, the most courageous act you can take on a daily basis is killing your sin. It's got to start there. It's got to start with daily killing your sin. You, you may have a temperament like me where I'm disagreeable and I'm kind of looking for a fight sometimes. I got to kill that if it's not in Christ. And you may be too agreeable. You need to kill that if it's not in Christ. You need to kill your cowardice in a variety of ways. You have to take it to the cross. You have to put that sin to death. I love the way Luther talked about his sin. He would mock it. He would make fun of it. He would curse it. Right? He would say all sorts of things that I don't want to say in front of my kids to his sin. And that's how we should treat our sin. It is dead. It is powerless. It has no authority here. Get out of my life. And that's what we must do with our cowardice. By the Spirit, we must slay our sin daily. You may be eager to take on the world. Maybe you're like me. You may be eager to, to make a splash, make a difference for Christ. And I think that's godly. I think that's a good thing. I think God wired us that way. To, uh, to have lordship over the world, over our homes. You may be eager to do that. But to go back to the proverbial wisdom of Jordan Peterson, what business do you have changing the world if you don't even make your bed? Like, what business do you have changing the world if, you got, if your life is filled with sin? You've got to kill your sin. You have to be a virtuous person if you expect to propagate virtue in the world. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. You've got to find hope in Christ. You have to abide in Christ, slay in your sin, glorifying God in your life. And you may fail, you may sin, but there's hope for you in Christ. You don't wait to be courageous until you start feeling like, I'm good enough now. I'm good enough now to take a stand for Christ. Don't. Don't just wait around. Take a stand. Step out for Christ. Stand on the word of God in the public square, in your neighborhood, in your marriage, uh, with your kids, in the school, in the workplace. Be courageous for Christ. You put your faith in Christ and move forward. Why? Because Christ goes before you. Who do you have to fear? If they kill you, so what? You live. And that's what Paul said. I love that passage in Paul where he talks about like, so what if they kill me? I'm with Christ. Like, Christian, man, you have nothing to lose. They can take your job. They can ruin your income. They can take your family. They can do all that stuff. But if you have Christ, you have everything. You have nothing to lose as a Christian. And you have to take that attitude wherever you go. The virtue of the hour right now is strength and courage. That's what makes it so ironic when Big Evo is publishing books like Gentle and Lowly and Finding the Right Hills to Die On. They're trying to keep the narrative going that the best way to interact in this culture is to simply kind of like be like, eh, eh, I don't want to take a stand. And Gentle and Lowly, like I have 200 copies of my office that I refuse to give out to men because I don't, I, I think it's going to create the wrong culture. Brian and I have talked about Gentle and Lowly. There's good stuff in it. If you read it, I, I benefited some somewhat from it okay my point is what you're being fed by and large in a lot of churches is be a coward don't take a stand because you know what jesus also was besides gentle and lowly courageous and that is what christian churches and christians need to be right now especially men we need to be courageous and we don't just need to find the right hills to die on we need to find hills to take for christ because christ already died on the hill that needed to be died on and he lives today so we get to take those for Christ instead of keeping, just backing down, giving in to all these false ideas and false ideologies in the world. Take a hill for Christ. Go out there with God on your side. He goes before you, Christ within you. You're in a good church. Take a stand for Christ. Be courageous men. Look, if you choose to put your cowardice to death every day, if you choose to do that, if you choose to follow the Spirit every day, you probably will still make mistakes in your courage. You probably will. We don't know how our courage will pan out in the end. We can count the cost. We can kind of see like, hey, if I say that on Twitter, that's going to have some consequences for me. But, but I think it would be better to take a stand and ask for forgiveness and mercy and trust God with the results than to never take a stand at all. Keep your silence and grow old and gray and watch your kids become trans. I don't, like, that's not a world I want to inhabit. I'd rather take a stand today for Christ, be courageous for Christ, and kind of like damn the torpedoes. I'd rather live that way and know that I've lived by my principles and lived by Christian convictions and live the other way. 
and watch the world go to hell in a handbasket all around me. Because that's where it seems to be going in our society. Unless there's a great revival and a great repentance. And the great opportunity we have as Christians, we have the good news, baby. We have the good news of Jesus Christ. And all we got to do is share it with people. And we got to center Christianity as the norm for the world. And we got to remind people, we need to turn back to God. We need, I need to turn back to God. Our neighbors need to turn back to God. Everything needs to turn back to God. We need to go back to God. We need to repent and, and uh, mourn over our sins and find forgiveness in Christ. That's the only way this country is going to find any kind of healing. Our state is going to find any kind of healing. Your neighborhood is going to find any kind of healing. We have to embrace that posture. We have the good news of Jesus Christ. And we get to take it out into the world. Your courage may look like foolishness to the world. Your courage may look like stupidity. It may look backwards and backwoods. But what we do is we trust God in the end to deal with the consequences. Because we will get judged in the end. And if we're in Christ, we know where that judgment will end for us. We will be in heaven with our Father. As we already are, as we're united with Christ, we have access to the throne room of God right now. So friends, men of Trinity, take courage. Take courage. Be courageous men. Make a decision tonight that you will kill cowardice, you will repent of cowardice, you will take it to the cross, you will slay your cowardice, and you will step up, you will stand up, and you will take courage for Christ everywhere you go. You will be a courageous man. And that's going to make some people uncomfortable and afraid. And that's fine. That's just fine. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for its um, clarity. Thank you that it's good and righteous and beautiful. Thank you that you have equipped us to discern your word by your spirit. Thank you for Trinity Church being a church that wants to glorify you in, in all the ways you can be glorified. Through good song, good preaching, good fellowship. God, I pray that these men would take their lives seriously with sobriety. That they, even as they go home tonight, that they would call out to you and inquire unto you. And they would ask you, God, how can I be more courageous? And God, we know that if we ask that question, you will give us opportunities to be courageous or give in to cowardice. So Spirit, I pray that you would build up these men in this room to be courageous. That we would not give in to cowardice, that we would put passivity to death that we would slay our sin, that we would step out in courage, knowing what your word teaches, knowing what the church has always taught, knowing that you are on our side and that the worst they can do is kill us and then we get to live with you. So God, give us a courage about us that unnerves people, but also, but also bring many into your kingdom because of the courage of the men in this room. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.